This is an ABC podcast. What is the most impressive thing you can do in three seconds? We both know that whatever you're thinking is dirty and you should definitely be ashamed of yourself. But what if in three seconds you could replicate an AI human voice as part of an elaborate scam? Yes, this week on Download This Show, turns out that is a thing. A terrifying thing. Also on the show, which huge social media phenomenon of this year is already being called dead and we look at Apple's new virtual reality plans and which car company is videoing you in your garage? Let's find out. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. So I'm very hyped for today and I blame Rad. It's your fault, Rad Yo. <laughs> Welcome to anything. the show. Thank you. If you don't recognise that voice, that is Rad Yo, TV host, video game critic and one quarter of the brilliant Queens of the Drone Age podcast. There you go. That was a proper introduction. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. We're like a pie. You cut it into quarters and then just eat it up. That's Queens of the Drone Age. <laughs> you spent a long time on that, didn't you? <laughs> Joining us alongside radio is Jeremy Kirk, analyst with the cybersecurity firm Intel 471, which definitely 100% sounds like a spy outfit. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Are you a spy? You can no, say so. No, absolutely not. Rad, are you buying it? Oh, look, I'm too busy being a quarter of a pie to <laughs> have an opinion on that one. Uh, this bodes well. All right, so uh, there's a lot to get through on the show this week. I want to start with death. You know, reports of the app Be Real dying maybe a somewhat... Slightly exaggerated. We might just start, Rad, by explaining to people what Be Real, this app that kind of blew up in the last couple of months, actually is. So if you have been on any other social media, uh, you may have seen copies of Be Real. It's essentially the one that will take a photo of your front-facing and back-facing camera at roughly the same time and then just post it on up. And the idea is that instead of curating your feed and editing something together that makes your life look so much more fabulous than it actually is, you're there to be real. So it'll send you a notification and theoretically you have two minutes to post your be real. Of course, you can post late as well. So it kind of doesn't, there's no <laughs> rules. It doesn't really matter. And the idea is you can't see everybody else's posts until you do yours. And I'm fishing here a little bit, Jeremy, but sure. would you be real? Uh, <laughs> I why hate not? that it's a why not? I mean, I think the, the motive behind it too was just to show people's lives when they're not all glammed up, right? Just to catch you at that sort of moment when you're doing something. And, you know, look, social media is just kind of flailing these days. So I think that anything that makes it a bit more interesting is, uh, is a good thing. But isn't the whole point that it wasn't interesting, right? Was or wasn't? Well, I, I feel like the, at the core of Be Real is this idea, this sort of unilateral lowering of the bar for content, <laughs> right? The whole point is like everybody's got these you know, highly curated lives that exist online, theoretically. I think, that, I think that's true for a certain segment of the population. I don't think it's true for everybody. And Be Real is a response to that. But w did it work? Like do you think it, it satisfied that? Uh, do you think it was a solution perhaps to that problem? I don't even know if I think that that problem needed a solution, but I think that it was a very novel social media. I think that it responded to a problem that didn't exist, but that people felt, if you know what I mean, if that's fair to say. Mm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a problem for people to have curated versions of their life on social media, but I also think that there are people that feel pressure from that and Be Real was a nice response to that. 
So it seems uh, in the last couple of weeks, Jeremy, that it's not working. So what's, what's actually happened? What's the most recent sort of developments with Be Real? Well, if you measure success by downloads and, I guess, user activity, it seems like it had a lot of people that downloaded it first, and now it's just kind of fading after a few months. Uh, maybe the novelty is sort of worn off. I don't know. Maybe we want to look up uh, at the glammed up photos rather than people's sort of sad looking lunch. Wait, you mean people want to look at things that are somehow attractive or aesthetically pleasing? I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Um, are you surprised by any part of this, Rad? I don't think it's dying. Oh, okay. I don't think <laughs> it's right. dying because I don't think We're that... in, people. We've got conflict. <laughs> it never happens when it happens, I'm in. I don't think that the metric should be how many you know times the app is being downloaded because you're going to have max capacity anyway there's going to be a saturation point perhaps we've reached it and that's fine you also can't use the metric of how long people are spending on this app because it's not designed to suck you in like tiktok it is designed <laughs> for you to spend two minutes posting your your photo and then looking at your other friends photos I think we should just enjoy it for what it is, which is a refreshing take on social media that doesn't feel like it is designed to suck you in. It does feel like it's designed to connect you. There's no kind of public aspect to it. You're not trying to gain followers. You're talking to your friends in a way that doesn't require a lot of emotional or social energy. You're just snapping a photo and then enjoying your friend's photos. And there is no social media I have ever used in my life that brings the same delight as someone, even a stranger, yelling, it's time to be real, and everyone looking out their phones. Like, that is that magic. Is brilliant. That is totally brilliant. Well, I, I have a question for you. I mean, do you think this is going to evolve into sort of short-form video because that's sort of the next, uh, you know, kind of evolution of apps? I kind of hope that it doesn't. The the makers of Be Real seem to be pretty satisfied with what they've got. They don't seem to be chasing the same heights of, you know, your TikToks and Twitters. They just wanted to make something fun and they did. I can't believe you've done this, but you've actually almost convinced me to download it. If you download it, we can be friends. You I would can, love to see. I would like to imagine yeah. that even if I don't download it, we can still be friends. But be now that I know friends. that there's this barrier, <laughs> I don't know. I'm reassessing my life choices. What can I say, Jeremy? Are you convinced by the? Uh, the I would life? try it. I would try it. All right. Let's all try it together when the show's done. <laughs> Download the show is what you're listening to. Mark Fennell is my name. Jeremy Kirk is an analyst with the cybersecurity firm Intel 471, definitely not spies. And Radio is a TV host, a video game critic, one quarter of the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and apparently not my friend. Uh, Jeremy, is Tesla spying on its drivers? Well, that's a really good question. So Reuters published a story, a big investigation. They talked to a bunch of former Tesla employees asking them about how does Tesla review videos to improve its AI, you know, improve its self-driving. So basically Tesla ingests all this video from people driving cars and uses it to improve its self-driving technology. So what these employees said was that, or former employees, was that people were taking some of these videos and circulating them among uh, Tesla's sort of internal chat, kind of making memes out of them. And, you know, you can see all kinds of things in these videos. You can see people kind of like around their cars. You can see their kids. Um, but the question was kind of like, uh, you know, are people really aware, especially Tesla owners, that this video is being viewed by other people and, you know, potentially sort of in inappropriate ways? This falls into the category, Rad, of things that when you hear about, there's a part of you that just goes, ah... Uh... I guess this was always going to happen, right? The more cameras you put in cars, the more connected you make those cars, 
There's a degree of inevitability about this, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. And I don't think anyone considers that when they purchase a car. They just think, oh, this is convenient for me. So one of the key parts to this story has been Tesla's sentry mode, which is a way in which it can kind of keep watch of its surroundings, even when the car is off. So with newer models as well, you can live stream that feed to your phone via an app. And people don't expect a car to be filming them when they're walking down the street past it. And that footage as well has been part of all of this, you know, upload and then review by Tesla employees. And some of it has been shared. And it also means that footage of the interior of people's garages and the like has been sent to Tesla. And I think that in particular is a space where people don't expect the footage to be captured. It's it's a really, really hairy one. And I think a lot of people just think about the convenience and the service first, and they think about privacy like 18th. Have, has Tesla responded? Uh, yeah, Tesla has responded. I mean, they say that there's a privacy policy that they sort of, you know, inform people that this is going to happen. But I think another concern was that in the systems when they ingest this video, there's location data attached to it. So not only are you seeing people moving around, you know, there's a location there too, which is probably going to be their house. And so suddenly, you know, Tesla kind of said like, this is not supposed to be identifying in a way. This is just for learning. You know, Teslas were having problems, I guess, kind of backing out of garages and, and sort of distinguishing garden hoses especially when there were like shadows. And so that's why they had to have human reviewers look at the footage to go, okay, a ticket box, that's a garden hose, you know, teaching the AI how to do, uh, you know, certain things. I would argue that people should potentially learn how to drive their vehicles without the assistance of a camera. I think that that could be a good one. Which reminds me, did you see the leaked photos of the new Polestar car? The what now? No. What, what is that? Uh, Polestar is just a car manufacturer and they apparently some images of one of their new vehicles got leaked and it doesn't have a rear window. It has a camera instead. I could see a multitude of ways in which that could end badly. Yeah, precisely. And I can see a multitude of ways in which we start to rely on the assistance of cameras, creating a real issue with people not learning the skills that they need to to be safe drivers. I must say, like, um, my car that I drive is... um old and doesn't have any cameras, whereas my wife drives a a new car that has cameras and beeps constantly to judge your driving. (laughs) Yes. I've I've realised that how used, when I drive her car, how used to the idea of reverse parking with a camera I am. And then I'm in my car, I'm like, oh, how did we do this in the 2010s? Way back then. And I do think there is a little part of you that as technology moves forward, we do lose skills. Like we just, by nature, we, we do lose those skills. And I think... If you become reliant on these bits of technology and say suddenly your camera doesn't work and you don't have a rear view window, there are issues that come with that. And no one wants to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a fancy new car that they then can't reverse. <laughs> I mean, unless it reverses for itself, which they do. Which some they of them do. do yeah. well, some of them do. But yeah, then you need yeah. to send your footage to a bunch of employees who are going to screen cap some weird thing that you've got in your garage and send it to their mates and have a giggle. And look, I get it. Exactly. We've, we've all been there. We want to have giggles, but it feels inappropriate. There was literally a quote in the Reuters story that said, we could see them doing laundry in really intimate things. We could see their kids. That's quite invasive. I've never been more creeped out. Well, that's not true. I've been creeped out much before on the show, but it's right up there. It's in the top 10 of the creepiest things that have been said on the show. And in Tesla's <laughs> defense, they did add a feature whereby the headlights pulse when it's in sentry mode to alert passerbys that car may be watching them. They also changed sentry mode too so that it wouldn't kick on unless you touched the car rather than what was happening before is that even if you just sort of walked around a Tesla, 
the cameras would go on. So even if you were parked adjacent, you, you could potentially be captured by them and then, you know, the owner getting like an alert. But they changed it so that you'd have to actually brush against the car before the camera would kick on. And that's how they satisfied regulators um, in some other countries. You know, normally we wait until the third story to go full dystopia. It's disconcerting <laughs> to me that we've done it on story two, but yes. here we are. Yes. So given all of this has come out, has there been responses from, from government? Like what are they going to change now in light of these reports, right? Look, they're trying to change as little as possible. And I think that we've seen time and time again that Tesla sort of tiptoe around making the big changes that are maybe required in order to make their vehicles work how one should want them to work, I'm going to say. But in the Netherlands and in Germany, there have been cases of kind of government or um, consumer bodies taking Tesla to task on this. And that is, um, as Jeremy said, part of what got that sentry mode changed. And funnily enough, in China, they are not allowing the use of Tesla vehicles in certain areas and by military because they're concerned about the spying. Apparently, also, when you register a Tesla, you do have a privacy notification. And they say that, you know, your data belongs to you and there is a notification. But, you know, I think as we've discussed before many times in the show about privacy things, when people are getting, uh, you know, registering for things, oh, privacy notice just click, click, click right through and not really realizing that, oh, hey, there's going to be video footage of my family <laughs> in their house uploaded to people well, I don't know where they are. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture and three seconds. Microsoft reckoned that with three seconds of the sound of your voice, they can recreate your voice with AI. So really, we should not be making this podcast no. right now. Shh. We've made a huge mistake. Everybody shut up. <laughs> it's too late. So tell me about what this technology is. There's been a lot of research coming out about AI and a lot of people sort of testing it. And there was a story in Vice uh, not too long ago by Joseph Cox, where he used a service to basically clone his voice to see if it would pass the authentication uh, that his bank offered. So he recorded his voice one time and it didn't work. He gave the uh, AI a little bit more of his and then he was able to get access to his bank accounts, at least his bank account balance. And so the bank, in this instance, had just asked for his birth date, which of of course, would be easily publicly available if you did a little bit of work. And then also this voice print. And so, you know, over the last few years, we've seen, you know, we've seen this used at Centrelink here in Australia. But now the technology is caught up that, you know, voice cloning is a very real thing with just a very small sample. And I listened to the sample of the three seconds and I didn't think it was that great, but, you know, give it like 10 times that and it gets better, right? Yeah. So Microsoft's software that they've showcased is called Vali. And but yeah, there have been other programs in the past that have done this same kind of, uh, we used to call it deep faking of voices. Now we just call it AI scamming. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that deep <laughs> anymore. <laughs> it's not that hard anymore. And I think what has shocked people is just just how little audio information it needs. Previously, it seemed like it needed more. And also previously, it didn't sound quite as realistic. But now it sounds pretty good. Like if you were to use it to make someone think that you're scared, you could understand why they maybe sound a little bit strange and, you know, robotic. And that's often how these kind of AI-fueled social engineering scams work. They play on human emotion so that you're not analytically thinking, hey, they pronounce that word slightly weird. Can you do anything to protect yourself from this? Stop talking. Stop talking, <laughs> that's Mark. A, that's a problem <laughs> for me. I only have one skill <laughs> and this might be it. 
I mean, it seems like definitely that the era of using your voice as your fingerprint is over unless they're using some other sort of channel to authenticate who you are, either sending a code to your mobile phone or, you know, some other some other ways. But I'll share with you kind of a scary story that I found that was just published oh, please, in please the do. States. Yes, because I'm not scared enough. So a mother got a call from someone. She heard her daughter in the background uh, saying, like, I'm in trouble. Please help me. And then a man's voice saying, I've got your daughter. I'm going to, you know, take her to Mexico unless you pay this money. And she says it sounded exactly like her daughter's voice in the background. And so she was terrified. They quickly figured out that her daughter was where she was supposed to be. But it was actually terrifying that it was just, you know, the mother was convinced that that was her daughter in the background. So when I say, is there anything you can do to protect me? <laughs> and you choose to tell me that story. What he my was question saying, is like, now Rad's not my friend, neither are you. <laughs> what he was saying was either don't have children or make sure <laughs> that they're locked away in a tower somewhere so that they can never be stolen. I feel like... Department of Children's Services would have issues <laughs> with me doing that last option. Look, that that was a joke. That was a joke. But the advice <laughs> Thank that you has for come, clarifying. <laughs> the, the advice that has come through isn't it's not a silver bullet. And I think that's the major issue when we're talking about AI is that ability to kind of enforce law, play catch up, stay safe, really lags behind where the technology goes. So some of the advice is come up with safe words with your loved ones, friends and families. Do that in person, obviously, as well, um, so that you have a word that you can use to say, hey, this is really me and I'm really in trouble. Um, know that caller ID can be faked. Some mm. people don't know that. So just because a call comes through from a number you know doesn't mean that it's real. I've literally had three scam text messages <laughs> since we've sat in this room. It's, it's actually amazing. And also know that pieces of information that don't seem that important about you, like your birthday, can really be used to fake your identity. So just try to keep as locked down as possible, but also know that they will find it anyway. I hate you both. I really do. <laughs> I, like, it, there's two components to this. One, which is us consumers uh, waiting to be mined and scammed, w things we can do. You've obviously talked through that. Then there's a, a higher sort of infrastructure and government level, right? Are there things that governments, regulators telecommunication company like who <laughs> point me in the direction of a big corporate office that can solve this problem <laughs> You're for like, me where is my mom and how <laughs> yeah. is she going to protect me exactly who's the corporate mom that can protect <laughs> me here jeremy i think it's very difficult with voice now with video there's a lot of obstacles you know right now with it like for you know for people who aren't celebrities having that sample size to generate sort of deep fakes is just not there um except for all those pictures you uploaded to facebook for the last 20 there years <laughs> there we go already taking my clear view hey you know okay we've got just three seconds of voice now, right? And so that means you could literally almost record somebody just talking at a cafe, suddenly coming up with, uh, you know, a voice that's approximately close. And even with like a minute or two, you, you're on to full on fooling. And, you know, this could be a problem. You know, I mean, cyber criminals are going to be interested in this. They're already looking at applications for this too. Like a lot of companies, you know, say, hey, if we're going to make a financial transfer of a large amount of money, and this is coming in over email, we'll make a phone call to the finance department and say, hey, is this really going to happen? And when you've got the finance manager's voice to say, yes, that's completely fine. Thanks for checking on that. You know, and the transfer goes out. This stuff is going to be increasingly embraced by bad people. It's just made me realize that this is the like counter tide for work from home. This is the one that's making everyone have to go into the office and talk in person. Mm. And everybody just dropped their safe words. <laughs>
we can't really rely on big corporate bodies to take care of this for us because things move so slow when you've got the red tape to go through to, say, implement legislation. Um, And I'm not saying that, you know, they shouldn't do anything, but I am saying that people need to be vigilant and do whatever they can to, as bleak as it is, at least just not be the person targeted. I mean, I guess, you know, we have such a problem right now of people, you know, even detecting like phishing emails, you know, there's training to do that, but to go, okay, well, the voice you might be hearing might not be real to try to train people to do that. Like, how do you verify that? How do you go? Okay, well, this is a little bit off. Where do I go to, to cross check this person on the phone to see if they're right? That's a really complex problem. I mean, we already know the answer to that. You stand up in the middle of the room and you yell, everyone, time to be real. <laughs> Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and the impending dystopia. Uh, now, I want you to do something. If you're listening to this right now, if you've got your phone, I want you to open it up. I want you to scroll on over to your banking app. I want you to open up your banking app. Don't tell me your details. Keep it to yourself. You can tell them to me though. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want you to see, in any of your accounts, do you have a spare $4,000? If you do, congratulations. Now I want you to ask the question to yourself. Would you spend that on a virtual reality headset? Of all the things you could spend $4,000 on, would you spend it on a virtual reality headset, Jeremy? No. Rad. Oh, mate. If it came with a free massage chair, yeah. Okay. So right now, (laughs) Apple, it seems, are banking on Rad (laughs) and not Jeremy because it seems Apple have a long-rumoured virtual reality headset. And and it's fair to say they're not the only ones that are in this space, but it's said to cost $4,000. And my question is, who's buying that? Look... I feel like we always have this conversation when a new piece of Apple technology drops, right? Like the Mac Pros went up to something like 12 grand and they had those insane monitors that came with them and there was like, I don't know, a, a feet or casters for the bottom of the uh, like unit that also cost something like $500. Like Apple just priced things insanely, but they kind of get away with doing it because they generally deliver on what is a pretty refined product. So I do think that there are people who are very excited about the future of AR slash VR, augmented reality and virtual reality, who may be interested. So this is rumoured to be coming out in June. It's worth pointing out that there's a lot of people operating, and I think I mentioned before, operating in this space. Facebook have Oculus headsets and things like that. Do we have any sense of what Apple could do that could make them a cut-through brand here, do you think? Oh, I think it's very tough. I mean, Apple always brings the polish to it, right? Kind of sits back and might not be the first with it, but definitely brings the polish with it. And I think in general with AR and VR, I mean, there's just a lot of concerns about practicality. Like it's good for gaming, right? That's good. I think the practicality is a big question. And I know that there was um, a lot of dissent. The New York Times published a story like within Apple of whether this thing was ready and whether there was actually a market for it. Some of the big things that Apple are changing with this headset is they're actually using a waistband attached battery pack so that the headset itself isn't going to be as heavy. Ah, yes, because years ago I used the PlayStation one, the PlayStation VR, and I think I did neck damage. (laughs) Yeah, they can be pretty heavy. Apple are also going to be using some of their Apple silicon chips in the headset, which they use in their MacBooks. They're super duper powerful, and I don't believe we've seen that kind of power in a headset before, especially in a standalone headset. They're saying that you're not going to need an iPhone in order to use it, which is very surprising to me because so far, basically every Apple product in existence, you need an iPhone (laughs) to use it. So I think that's a pretty bold move. They've also got something like 12 cameras within the headset. Again, I should just 
put this side note in. This is all rumoured. They yeah, haven't announced yeah. no. it yet. And there's got- always like wild rumours that come out about Apple products. There's like there's an entire industry of websites dedicated to like rumouring Apple products. I mean, there is an interesting sort of poetic justice to this coming from Apple because I remember years ago talking to a bunch of virtual reality developers actually around the release of PlayStation's VR headset. And this is, you know, almost 10 years ago now. And one of the things they said was the thing... Because virtual reality has been talked about for decades, right? But actually the thing that has brought it into, I guess, plausibility is actually the development of the gyroscopes that went into smartphones like the iPhone. And that's, and, and the, you know, those are the little uh, sensors inside your phone that can work out whether it's, you know, sitting upright or down. The, the sensors on those got so sophisticated for, for smartphones like the iPhone, that's actually what has made, the, you know, the ability for virtual reality headsets of the modern era to, you know, to to have this really low latency where you turn your head and it can reflect it. So I guess there is a kind of a nice, you know, circular poetic justice to, to Apple bringing out their own sort of headset. Well, yeah. they are saying that headsets are going to be the new phones. That's like some people's theory. I don't reckon it is because I think wearing a headset is irritating and I think people, you know, like the ability to put something in their pocket instead of have it on them all the time and that's how we use our phones all the time. So we'll see. I feel like metaverse and, you know, virtual reality is one of those spaces where every company seems to be far more excited about it than any living human just living their life that I've ever seen. I I don't have any friends who are like, hell yeah, I can't wait till I'm in the metaverse. And yet you've got the likes of, you know, meta out here saying that it's the second coming of Jesus. I guess that's always the thing though. Like nobody in the world thought they needed an iPad and then there it was. Absolutely. Like I said, Apple always brings the polish. So maybe there's some surprise that comes along with the headset, you know, that's sort of super, super app that really makes it a compelling thing to make people spend four grand on it. I want them to put these in airplanes. I don't want to watch TV on a tiny little screen anymore. I want to have a business class flight where they have a little Apple headset that I put on and I, I can just watch my movie on a simulated 60-inch TV. I like That's the very idea. Veruca Salt energy you brought to that request. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I want this and then I would like some chocolate. Do you know, for me, I, I know this sounds so spectacularly lame, video calls, like, you know, like the, the Zooms, the Teams, the Google Meets. But if you could make video calls feel a little bit less like staring at a tiny window on 14 boxes and if you could make it a little bit more immersive. I do think there's a part of me that would be into that. I think you're absolutely right. Everybody's tired of looking at square boxes. You know, the the pandemic is three years, you know, back. You know, we did just enormous amount of that type of communication and I feel like, yeah, that's it's very stale. What do you do with the fact that when you put on a virtual reality headset, you, you look like a bit of a knob. Is there a solution for that? Well, Mark, I don't think the virtual reality headset is shifting that for you personally. Get out. Um, so just get, <laughs> get on your business cards. No, no. Um, so the rumours are for this one that it's actually going to have a screen on the front that is going to show the emotions of the wearer to anyone who's looking at them. You wanted a solution. There it is. <laughs> I was hoping she was going to say big cartoon eyeballs in the front. Of I'm sure. I'll bet there's an app for that. I'll bet there's an app for that. We are out of time. Huge thank you for joining us back on the show. Uh, analyst with the cybersecurity firm Intel 471, not spies. Jeremy Kirk, thanks so much for joining us to download the show. Thanks for having me. It's totally spies. And radio, TV host, video game critic, one quarter of the Queens of the Drone Age podcast. And now that you've finished listening to this, you should absolutely go download that. Rad, thanks for joining us on the show. I will openly say I am a spy. <sighs> 
finally got one of you. Mm. I'll take it. <laughs> a win's a win. Uh, and a big thank you to Rad Show for joining us on the show. If you enjoyed the program, please head along to whichever one of those podcasting apps you peruse. Hell, even ABC Listen and leave us a review. Actually, can you leave a review at ABC Listen? I don't think I don't you think can. So, no. no. All right. Well, don't do that. Uh, but do leave a review on all the other ones that actual clip it. If you enjoyed the program, do leave us a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to peruse. And with that, I shall leave you. My name is Mark Fennell, and thanks for listening to another episode of Download Download This Show. Show. Shut up! (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.